Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study. We're in uh, Parshat Vayishlach this morning. We are in the 32nd chapter of the book of Genesis. 32-4. So like we talked about last time, if the Parsha starts at verse 4, why isn't it 32-1, right? Because again, let's remind ourselves, Jews did not make the chapters and verses. We had it divided into these Parshiot before it was divided into chapters and verses. So to us it looks kind of silly. Why are we starting at verse 4 rather than verse 1? Because that's where the Parsha's always started. At this word, Vayishlach. That's why the Parsha's called Vayishlach. So we, we should ask the question, why did they start chapter 32 three verses earlier, right? We've always started this section of text here at Vayishlach. Every parsha, right, usually takes the first words uh, of the parsha or the first word of that parsha. Vayishlach. What does that mean, Vayishlach? And he sent. All right. So let's have somebody read at verse 4. Jacob sent messengers ahead to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Abram, and instructed them as follows. Thus shall you say, to my lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob, I stayed with Laban and remained until now. I have acquired cattle, asses, sheep, and male and female slaves, and I send this message to my lord in the hope of gaining your favor. The messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau. He himself is coming to meet you, and there are 400 men with him. (coughs) Jacob was greatly frightened. In his anxiety, he divided the people with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking, if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, the other camp may yet escape. All right, read through verse 13, please. Then Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your native land, and I will deal bountifully with you. I am unworthy of all the kindness that you have so steadfastly shown to your servant. With my staff alone I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, else I fear he may come and strike me down, mothers and children alike. Yet you have said, I will deal bountifully with you and make your offspring as the sands of the sea, which are too numerous to count. All right. We had, we've had a bunch of malachim. We've had a bunch of messengers, all kinds. Right? Uh, and we're going to get the opening of our Parsha, the middle of our Parsha, we're getting lots of malachim again. So this malach, right, seems to be a human malach, messenger, just regular messenger. But, of course, the rabbis are going to read... Right, you shouldn't read just messenger, right? When you've got Malachim involved, right? There's something going on. But what, where, where are we in the life of Yaakov? Because we're, we're reading the first third of every Parsha. means we didn't read the last third of last week's Parsha. So where are we with Yaakov? Yaakov has taken leave of his father-in-law, Lavan, right? They're, they took off. Uh, he consults with his wives. Uh, who we haven't heard very much about in the first triennial reading this year. We spent a lot of time with Rachel and Leah in and, and <coughs> past podcasts and past lessons. Uh, but the first third puts us not dealing so much with, with their story. But he consults his wives, and they decide they're going to leave. 
right? That it's enough already with what Laban's gotten from Yaakov. And they decide to take everybody with them and go. And they leave. They don't ask permission. They they take off and they go, right? Remember the stealing of the trafim, that Rachel steals the trafim, right? And uh, and that's a whole other dramatic episode. So... So that so that happened, right? And then Laban comes after them, uh, and that whole wonderful scene. And then uh, we, they get they make their agreement, Laban and Yaakov, and and Laban's daughters Rachel and Leah. That's where we are right now. That they are on their way. They've already been on their way back to Canaan, back to the land of Israel. So Yaakov is going back home. So they're on their way, and we don't know exactly how it happens. It's a little, we don't get a lot of information here. But Yaakov is, Yaakov is doing some reconnaissance, because when he left, so why was he with Lavan in the first place? He was afraid of Esau. He was afraid of Esau. Esau was going to kill him, because he stole all that stuff, right? So Esau's going to kill him. So, uh, so the last time he was with Esau, it wasn't... It wasn't great, right? Asaph was threatening to murder him. So um, he doesn't know what's happened in the intervening time, in the intervening 20 years. He has no idea what Asaph's situation is and how Asaph regards him. So he's nervous. He's going back into Asaph's territory. He's going home, but but home is not necessarily a good thing for Yaakov. It's not necessarily safe, right? So, um, so Yaakov sends Malachim sends messengers to uh, Esav. And where is Esav? Where are we told Esav is? <laughs> In the land of Seir. What is he doing in the land of Seir? So, uh, so they, that's a movement for Esav, migrating east of the Jordan. Because Seir belonged to the Horites. So, there had to be something going on that Asaph has now moved to Seir, to the east of the Jordan. And then what do we get? We get that he is in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, right? So you don't hear it in the English. Seir, Sedeh, Edom. Look at the end of verse 4 in Hebrew. Seir, Sedeh, Edom. All of these are references to Esav, and to they are alliterative. They are uh, they are they bring to mind what was happening uh, with with Esav before Yaakov left. How is it that that's true? Seir is like Sear, hairy. Esav was Sear, hairy. So we get Sear, Sede, Edom. So Sede is a a man of the outdoors. Sadeh, a man of the fields. That's Esav. And, and Edom, we get that he uh, was of a ruddy complexion. right? So all of these three words in Hebrew, the Hebrew listener to this story gets it. Right? We're looking at some translation that says, in the land of Seir, in the country of... Right? It's Seir, Sedeh, Edom. Totally lost in translation. That the listener understands, well, of course, all of those are Esav. And there's a sense that Esav was in 
his environment. He was he was in a safe place that matched him. Mm-hmm. Whereas Yaakov was in a he had been diaspora and now he's trying to come home mm-hmm. to a place he doesn't know. And Yaakov was the guy in the tent. He was the Nebuchadnezzar Yeshiva Bucher, right? <laughs> Studying Talmud in the tent. He was, say the rabbis. He, you know, he wasn't comfortable out in the field. And where is he now? Out in, out in the middle of nowhere, right? Completely exposed, completely vulnerable, without the skills necessarily to, to survive there. And he's got women and children with him. He's got 13 children. And all of the, you know, wealth that he came with. That's a lot of flocks, right? Remember, semi-nomadic pastoralist, your wealth you're wealthy, but that's a lot to move, right? So you you have 13 kids, you have four wives, you have all of this cat, all of these herds. It's not easy to move. You certainly can't move undetected, mm-hmm. which we're gonna find out. And what was the reason, or what's the commentary on why Yaakov felt he had to reach out or explore this with this? With Asaph? Yeah, because he was coming back and he was afraid, or so let, so we're gonna we're, that's where we're gonna go. That that's the whole that's the whole thing going on here. Um, is what's happening with Yaakov. So he says, thus he sends his malachim, and what are the malachim to say to Esav? Thus shall you say. Now we get the quotes, right? So you're gonna say, quote, to my lord Esav, thus says your servant Jacob. This is a typical opening in the ancient Near East of someone who is humbling themselves, you know, and recognizing the higher status of someone is to say, to my lord Esav, so says your servant Jacob. That is a typical way to open a message uh, in the ancient Near East. I stayed with Lavan and remained until now, tactfully omitting why he was with Lavan for all this time. I've been hanging out with Lavan and have remained until now. So that's a long time. This wasn't three weeks ago. right? He's been in the same place. And my commentators suggest that, that um, he's also saying to Esav, have a little Rahmanis. It's not like I've been in Paris. Like I've been with Levan with no relatives, no rights, no, you know, nobody in my camp. I've been attached to them through marriage or through whatever, but, but I've been a gare. I've been a stranger, essentially, for... Low these twenty years, <laughs> right? Ostensibly, would, I mean, his brother will have disappeared. Huh? And his brother Yaakov will have disappeared, and this is the first communication. I'm confused. Say that again. Yaakov left. Yaakov left. So he's Esau, been with Levan. Right, but Esav didn't know that. Correct. He, he, he just knew that Yaakov he left. Off. Correct. And so Yaakov is saying, by the way, you may be wondering where I've been these twenty years. <laughs> Right, so we can we can speculate about why Yaakov right is giving this information because the next piece he gives is I have acquired cattle, asses, sheep, male and female slaves. This means he's wealthy. If you're buying slaves routinely, you, you know you have money. But why do you think he didn't know where his brother was? If he's got 13 kids, they've got a huge flock. He's wealthy. Why wouldn't his brother know? Oh, 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 hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, and I send this message to my Lord in the hope of gaining your favor. The messengers returned to to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Asad. He himself is coming to meet you and there are 400 men with him. So some speculate, it doesn't mean, oh, now he just got up. 
out of his lounge, or his barca lounger, and went and like it's that Asaph was already coming. So they went to meet. They went towards Asaph and met Asaph because he was already coming with four hundred men. So we have no idea when that is. We have no idea why that is. But it is very possible they could not move that much stuff undetected, and that Asaph is a big guy in the region. Like probably has scouts. You you you, you don't you don't let somebody sneak up on you when you're right in in this. Um, in this environment, and so no. possibly he had, he, he, you know, he's getting reconnaissance too. He knows what's going on. Neither one of them are idiots, right? They know how to, and and Asaph better than Yaakov even knows how to survive in in this, you know, kind of a world. And so, um, but we don't know that. We don't have proof in the text that he already knew Yaakov was coming. Four hundred men is the size a regular sized militia in the ancient world. So now, is he already out with 400 men doing whatever they were doing, taking Seir, right? And doing what they were doing in Seir, and he turns when he hears Yaakov is coming? If so, Asaph did not necessarily intend violence to Yaakov. Asaph, remember, has no idea who Jacob is now. So possibly Asaph is like, whoa, he's coming with that much stuff. Does he think for real he's going to steal again from me? Mm-hmm. That he's going to come back here and Mr. Busy who stole the birthright and stole, stole the blessing. Does he think he's coming back to be the patriarch on my corner, on my turf? 400 men might say otherwise. right? So we have no idea what Asaph is thinking, but you can imagine Asaph is not happy a might be threatened himself by somebody who's already tricked him so many times and is now coming with a vast amount of wealth to his to coming back home. Um, they can't mean good things for Esav, but we have no indication that Esav means Yaakov harm. Yaakov was already trying to be to make up and to repair this relationship based on what he said. Do we know why? My guess is self-preservation. Sure. Um, that he was just scared going back. That he's, 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 so Because we're going to look and see what Torah says. Because remember, Torah doesn't talk about emotion mm. and doesn't t- talk about psychological states. That's our contemporary Western reading. Torah is not interested in that generally. So when we get it from Torah, it's like bold, italicized, underlined, highlighted. Therefore, it says Jacob was terrified. So here we go. So... We came to your brother Asaph, he himself is coming to meet you, and there are 400 men with him. Verse 8, Yaakov was greatly frightened, right? Vayira Yaakov me'od. Vayira, he was scared, me'od, a lot. Vayitzarlo, what is the root tsar? Tsar. Sadness or trouble. Interesting. Tsarot, troubles, tsaris, right? So, um, trouble, it, uh it actually means narrow, constricted. So, mitzrayim, that's how the rabbis read, right? In one of their beautiful midrashim, they say, don't read, God forbid, that we were freed from mitzrayim, from Egypt, the big E, rather because there's no vowels in the Torah, 
if you change these vowels, what were we liberated from? May Sarim. From from the narrows. This makes it plural. Narrow. So the rabbis say we're always coming out of Mitzrayim. We're always coming out Mitzrayim from the narrow places, from the places we get stuck, from the places we have on blinders. That this is always liberation is always happening Mitzrayim from the constricted places. So the here too this word and I'm sure Tsar as trouble comes from here too. Like you know somehow it's got to be related. Um, but Tsar so narrow he. He gets, he gets constricted. He gets t- What happens when we get scared? We free. We tighten up. Every, your guts tighten up, right? For some of us, some of us get headaches because all of this tightens up. All the muscles tighten, right? Some of us heart get heart palpitations. That muscle, right, gets all freaked out, right? The adrenaline. So um, he's so he's. That's the word in Hebrew. So what does your English say? In his anxiety. <laughs> Um, he he narrowed he constricted he's caught he's caught what's the word again there Tsar narrow yes say the whole word though Meitzarim 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 so Tsar is the narrow the Im makes the word plural so the mem in front of it means from. So Mitzrayim is Egypt. But but the letters give us this great good fortune to have this wonderful midrash because when you put a mem in front of something, it means from. Sounds too close to Meisharim. <laughs> Sounds very similar to Meisharim, which is its own kind of yeah, narrows and constriction that we... And, and other things as well. All right. Um, so... Vaitzalo, he's he's constricted. So what does he do? He yachatz the breaking of the middle matzah, right? yachatz. He he breaks into two the am the people that's with him, right? There are that many people, right? That Torah calls it here et ha'am, the folk who are with him. And, and the flocks and the herds and the camels. Camels, do we have camels here? Like, these are, these are, um, Teslas. <laughs> in that world, they are. In that world, when you say camels, it's like, oh, we go, camels, right? And the Teslas. He divided the Tesla, right? That is extreme wealth that, that's happening here. Um, thinking, if Asaph comes to one camp and attacks it, the other camp may yet escape. So he, even though he was wealthy, he did not have an army to fight. Correct. Why wouldn't he have an army? Well, he perceived no danger. He had no property. So he didn't, he didn't have, have a country who belonged to him because he had no country. He he'd been with Lavan. He'd been a sojourner. You don't raise an army in someone else's territory without, you're, unless you're ready for a battle. Um, so he doesn't he doesn't have that. But what does Jacob always have at his disposal? <laughs> Linda spoken like the rabbis. 
Yes, he has God. Um, he's he's always thinking. He has a Yiddish cup, right? Uh, a Yiddish cup. He's he's always plotting. All right, if I divide him in half, Aesop can't attack both places at once, right? So, you know, I'll divide it in half and cut my losses. So only half of my wives and children and can flocks get destroyed. Um, and then he's got his other resource that he turns to in verse 10. He turns to God and says, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O God who said to me, return to your native land and I will deal bountifully with you. Right. So God has told Yaakov to return. I'm unworthy of all the kindness that you have so steadfastly shown to your servant. With my staff alone, I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, else I fear he may come and strike me down, mothers and children alike. Yet you have said, right, this sounds a little bit like our guy Moses sometimes, right? Uh, remember, you said, <laughs> right, he, he's coming to kill me, right? But you said... I will deal bountifully with you and make your offspring as the sands of the sea, which are too numerous to count. Does he think God forgot what God said? Right? This is very Jewish. And don't forget, you promised you know, that you were going to deal bountifully with me and make my offspring as the sands of the sea, too numerous to count. So that's, that's where we are. He's done everything he can. Yaakov has done everything he knows how to do. He's cut his losses. He's strategized the best he can. He pleads with God, reminds God, God needs to keep God's word if God wants to be honest and an honest God. And that, that's, all, that's all he can do. What now? Bert? He's going to give presents. We continue reading. After spending the night there, he selected from what was at hand these presents for his brother Esau. 200 she-goats and 20 he-goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, uh, 30 milch camels with their colts, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 she-asses and 10 he-asses. These he put in the charge of his servants drove by drove. And he told his servants, go on ahead and keep a distance between droves. He instructed the one in front as follows. When my brother Esau meets you and asks you, Whose man are you? Where are you going? And whose animals are these ahead of you? You shall answer, Your servant Jacob's. They are a gift sent to my lord Esau, and Jacob himself is right behind us. He gave similar instructions to the second one, and the third, and all the others who followed the droves. Namely, Thus and so, thus and so shall you say to Esau when you reach him. And you shall add, And your servant Jacob himself is right behind us. <laughs> For he reasoned, if I propitiate him with presents in advance and then face him, perhaps he will show me favor. And so the gift went on ahead while he remained in camp that night. Okay. So he's done all he can here to mitigate his losses. Um, so now he decides, but that doesn't mean I can't influence what's happening there. Right? So if Asaph is coming this way, I send messengers that way with 550 animals. So 550 animals Jacob is sending ahead of him in droves. Quite a gift. A lot of animals. A lot of animals. Quite. Lot it's, of an, it's an extraordinarily lavish gift that he is 
um, dumping on Aesop. So each drove comes with someone driving them, and Aesop's going to say to them, oh, stop, everybody stop. Ah, right, you know, who are you? What are you doing here? And whose animals are these? And the person is to say, they are yours from my Lord Jacob, your servant. And this is going to happen over and over and over. Now, is, what has to happen? We, we read right over this. Okay, it happens once, it happens twice, it happens. But Asaph is going to get off his horse or his camel or whatever they're, they're riding. He's going to get down. He's got to inspect the animals. He's going to make sure this isn't a trick, maybe. He's going to, right? So this takes some time. Then what do you got to do with them? You got to get somebody to get all these animals, like get up here. Where are you going to put them? Where are they going? Because they, they're, they're going to keep marching. Who's going to do it? And then it happens again. And, and so he's got to get down, and he's got to raise, and so it, it, it's going to keep 400 men busy, right? So it's brilliant by Jacob, like, because he keeps disrupting Asaph's journey, that Asaph has to keep dealing with all these animals that are now his, um, and so even if he had come with ill intent, by the time the fourth or fifth drove of animals comes and the person is saying these are yours a gift from my Lord Yaakov your servant he has hopefully softened up we have no and I like I'm saying before we we have no indication that he ever came with ill intent so if he didn't come with ill intent imagine right so either there's a part of me that's cynical enough to think I'd be insulted if I had no ill intent, and then I get all these gifts, you know, and all, it's like, wh- what, you thought, who do you think I am? Or what's he really planning? Or what's he really want? Um, but, but, you know, so, so we have no idea right at this point what Asav uh, is experiencing, because we're just getting the plan, right? So uh, the gift went on ahead. Yaakov remains in camp. He has sent his family to s- split camps. He's alone. He has now done everything he feels he can do. He's been as crafty, as cunning, as intelligent, as mindful, as planful as possible. And now, now what? <laughs> All right. Bert, 23. Now the best part. Now the best part. That, uh, that same night he, Yaakov, arose, taking his two wives, his two maidservants, and his 11 children. He crossed the ford of the Yabok. After taking them across the stream, he sent across all his possessions. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the break of dawn. When he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he wrenched Jacob's hip at its socket, so that the socket of his hip was strained as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for dawn is breaking. But he answered, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Said the other, what is your name? He replied, Yaakov. Said he, your name shall no longer be Yaakov, but Yisrael, for you have striven with beings divine and human and have prevailed. Yaakov asked, pray tell me your name. But he said, you must not ask my name. And he took leave from there. So Jacob named the place Peniel, meaning I have seen a divine being face to face, yet my life has been preserved. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping on his hip. That is why the children of Israel to this day do not eat the thigh muscle that is on the socket of the hip, since Jacob's hip was wrenched at the thigh muscle. 
Sometimes it's very interesting to me where y'all gasp. (laughs) (laughs) (gasps) About not eating the five. I'm I'm interested to hear what that was about. Okay, so so that same night he wrote, and uh, and I correct myself on the eleven children. Uh, uh, He doesn't have thirteen children. He has twelve at this point. Dina's not mentioned because she's not part of the male, you know, counting. Um, So he's got twelve children because Binyamin has not been born born yet. So. because Rachel's alive. <laughs> um, the same night, he arose taking his wives, his two maidservants, right? He, everyone by whom he has children, and his children, and crossed the ford of the Yavuk River, a very important uh, boundary in uh, ancient Israel. And after taking them across the stream, he sent across all his possessions. So he is, he's sending everything over the Yavuk. So now there's a natural boundary. And Yaakov was left alone. So he takes them across, right? Mm -hmm. And then he is left alone. So it seems he goes back. Mm -hmm. He takes them across. A crossing, we take it for granted when we think about crossing a river that that's, okay, everybody just went across. It's like, but it was a very serious river. Rivers in the ancient world um, often took people's lives because you had to lay stones at the most shallow place to get across or, you know, wood or some kind of planks, you know, that you would lay in. The, there was no bridge here. This is this is not, you know, the Golden Gate crossing. This is this is like very dangerous for all these animals and all these women and children. And all. You know, it's it's not an easy crossing, particularly. Right. Um but sometimes they call it a stream, and that's a different breed of cat from a river. <laughs> that is a different breed of cat. Um, water. Right. So, <laughs> stream. It's mm-mm. little. Mm-mm. little yeah. Small. No, the Yavok uh, is a river, uh, and it is one of the most important rivers east of the Jordan. Uh, my notes say, flowing through a deep ravine on a meandering course, it joins the Jordan River at right angles about 20 minutes north of the Dead Sea. Mm-hmm. Before the construction of bridges, flat stepping stones or timber would be laid across the shallowest and narrowest part to afford passage. To cross at night with a vast entourage is a difficult and dangerous operation to be undertaken only by moonlight and only as a matter of great urgency. Because what happens when you cross rivers and it doesn't go well? You die. You die. You get wet, Sutlinda. Then you die. Thank you. So we're going to sequence them appropriately. So when you cross a river, any river, and especially this way with all these animals and all these kids, and it's nighttime, and it's, you know, so it's dangerous. So, so you're crossing the river. This is a very typical thing in the ancient world and you know some of this if you think about it crossing you're going to cross because it's so dangerous and people die there what often happens with rivers and think in the ancient world think in the pagan world what does it what does it mean like people often get swept away right right? so they're demons there, there are forces swirling. There's, there's a river god. The river is a god. Or there's demons that, that, that are there to prevent you from crossing, right? And to make your crossing dangerous, right? And it's swirling in the water. Like the river sticks. 
So, do you know one of these stories? <clears throat> They're fairy tales. It's the ogre. Of course. Three billy goats gruff. All of us know that story. It is exactly what we have here. It's exactly what we have here. But it's completely different because it's an Israelite reconstruction of the tales and the hero stories that would have circulated in the ancient Near East. So you have to have a dangerous river crossing for our next scene. You have to, because what's going on there is possibly the presence of a demon, right? A, a bad spirit, a challenge. The conflict. There's going to be conflict, <coughs> which is about the hero being challenged. So if you have a demon and a bad spirit and you have a dangerous situation here, what do you do? Cry? Thank you, Margot. Um, heroes tend not to cry, at, at least like in the tales of the heroes, generally not, chosen as the, the option of choice. So what do they do? You protect your children. How? They pray. Or they do a ritual. If you're dealing with a, a bad spirit or even with, you know, a river god, you're, you, the right answer is to pray or to perform some ritual that's going to propitiate the demon or the bad spirit or the river god, right? You're going to propitiate so it ups your chances of crossing safely. What do we have here? What does Yaakov do? He prays. But who does he pray to? Adonai. Do you see how this is a reconstructionist hero tale? Taking stories from the ancient world that would have been very familiar motifs, but we're going to get the Israelite reconstructed version. That we're going to see something happen, challenge, conflict, danger, iffy, what, who it is. But if there's going to be prayer involved for the Israelite hero, it has to be to yod heh Okay, so we have that check. Pray to God. Check. Has to be yod heh Check. All right? There's also action. There, there's certainly going to be action. There's going to be action. So that night, he arose. Um, after taking them across, he sent across all his possessions and Yaakov was left alone. Then what do we see? Vayivater Yaakov levado. That's what we just got. Vayivater you can't appreciate it in the English. What does that sound like? Yabok. And? Yaakov. Oh, of course, right? Because we're so used to English that we don't go. But these stories were told, right? Orally first, and by Hebrew speakers. Like so he's the at the Yavok River. Who's there? Oh, right. Yaakov. And what's going to happen now? What's the verb for this conflict, this challenge? Yavik. You cannot miss that in the Hebrew. It's like the Esau references previously. Correct. You, you cannot miss this in the Hebrew if you're listening. So... Uh, meaning that it was if it was oral it, it's all him this is all about him Yavuk Yaakov is that Yavuk and something's going to Yavuk him 
book. So it's, it's, <laughs> I can't even do it. So it's all about, so it's all about Yaakov's challenge and his transformation as a result of this challenge. And for some of us, there's a hint that because the verb is Yaavek, like that there's some, he's Yaakoving. <laughs> right? There, it, that this is something that's, all about this action. Everything about this action is about Yaakoving. It's an evolutionary it's procedure an, inside him. He's, he's aiming. <laughs> right, right, you know, so it's like, what's the verb for becoming more ourselves or, or becoming a different kind of me, right? So for me, that's where I go with this. I mean, I, I'm making that up, so don't <laughs> quote me. But, um, but for me, I can't help but hear this verb. As, that's why... The, for me, this verb is chosen. It's not just about he was, what does it say? Gressel. Right, Gressel. It's like, you, you know, yeah, Avec, right? He was supposed to, supposedly holding on to the heel of Esav. His, his, um, Akev, his, his heel. Akev as usurper. Um, and so here, that's what somebody's doing to him. The Ish is doing this to Yaakov. But it, that resonance for me is definitely about indicates that there's more going on here than just the seed, that there's there's something that is seriously about the core of Yaakov and his identity. All right, so, so the, and who who's doing this action? You know, Ish. A man. A man. That's all we know. That's all we're told. It doesn't matter who the man is. Really, except that he's the, the opposite, yeah. Ah. He's the force for the, the evolution. The, so the Ish is the force that's that's driving this evolution, driving says Ish. Judith. So it's an Ish. Who's the Ish? Oh Judith God. says doesn't really matter because it's just the process by which you know Yaakov is becoming. Yeah, it can be. Any God. other? But you know the fact I, I'm taken with the fact that he divides his camp. That means he's sending half away. Now he's taking his children and everything that's left to the other side. Part of me thinks, well, you know, if God told him that his descendants are going to multiply, they have to be protected. Mm -hmm. And even if he doesn't go on, they're going to go on. So he's taking care of that. Now he really stands alone and naked because he has nothing on this side. Which is, I think, ritualistic. So to you know, say more about ritualistic. Well, the fact that he's offering himself now really as sacrifice. I mean, he, he's got no protection. He's just all open to whatever is going to happen to him. And he's alone because all his men that he may have had are gone. The women are gone. The children are gone. And all the animals are gone. Mm -hmm. He's just there. This is also part of the traditional pattern of the hero having to wrestle his way to get to the other side of whatever it is. 100%. Right. So I think there's many levels on which this is happening. And I know sometimes we impose that on the text. Um, and in the ancient world, they didn't necessarily like psychologize, psychologize no, everything the way we do. But I, I can't. I cannot help but think that all those hero narratives, every one of their challenges is really about them, right, facing whatever they have to face. Being able to look back at all the stories and saying they all did the same. Right. I don't think it's a stretch at all to say this is happening on many different levels. So traditionally, this story is understood, just so we're clear, that 
He has sent everybody across the Yavok, split into two camps. He then crosses back by himself. That's the only place he would be by himself, right? He goes back over the river by himself. So... So then, so when you say ritual, I was like, where are you going with the word ritual? Because some want to say it, it is intentional that he goes to be by himself. That he can do the wrestling by himself. That, that he has to do the wrestling by himself. That he gets it. That there's no, there's no protection for him now. He's done what he can for his family. He's propitiated Asaph to the extent that he can. Now he has to face the crossing alone. And face what's coming next alone. In and before to be born is Israel. In or, and he doesn't know this yet, but no, we no. know he can't become Israel until he does, he, he does this and he stands alone. Laura? Um, it, it reminds me of the, the ritual and like, you know, going out to the outback or whatever the tribes have to do. It's, you know, something that has to be faced alone. And here he is on the brink of this great um, reckoning, not just with his brother, but with himself. And, you know, who is he? And what is he made of? And so, you know, to, to the man that he's fighting with feels like it's himself. Ah, so this is what I was asking about who is Ish. So if it's a man then possibly Yaakov is wrestling with the the ish that he isn't yet, the ish that he's been. The nebish. The (laughs) the nebish. The alter ego. ego, The, you know, the the person, because ish means person, right? The the person, what, that he's been, that he was, that stole from Asaph, that, you know, and, you know, that he's, he's wrestling with... A person, an ish, all right? And now what? If they do this, they, they engage like this, very intimate engagement, by the way. All right, this is intimate. Can't be much the, the, this isn't like, okay, I've got my lance and you've got your lance and we're going to go at it, right? Th- this is intimate. Man on man. This is very intimate. They are like up in each other's stuff. Ad Until... The dawn is coming up. Okay, till the dawn is coming up. Now, notice no names are used from the beginning of the thing until the next, in my book, the next page. All right? So if you're listening to this, if you don't know the story, it reads like this. A person wrestled with him until the break of dawn. When he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he wrenched, this is the first time we get a name of who, who might be who. We don't know who's who until here, till Yaakov, wrenched Yaakov's hip. Who, who didn't prevail against who? Him. He didn't prevail against him. What, who? No reference. No reference. What's going on? On purpose. Right? Whenever we've seen this in Torah, remember, it's always murky. Who's talking? Who's what's happening? It's if it's a divine and at all encounter, it's gonna be murky what's happening. So we get that here. So but then we realize when he saw that he had not prevailed against him, we have no idea what's going on. He wrenched Jacob's hip. So that means if we then now we have to go and read backwards. When he, the Ish, saw that he had not prevailed against Jacob, and the dawn is coming. He 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 cheats, yeah, he right? He 
or he comes up with a very clever move, you know, and like wrenches Yaakov's hip. It is not an accident that this happens, that the dawn is coming. Because they could have gone on doing this till someone wins, right? It, but it says, when he saw the, the, the I mean, the dawn. The, the dawn is coming, right? Then something desperate happens. He wrenches Yaakov's hip. Then he said, let me go, for dawn is breaking. So in case we didn't understand the importance of Alot HaShachar, here it is. It's articulated clearly. Let me go, says the Ish, for the dawn is breaking. What does, for the dawn is breaking? Why does that matter? It's a new beginning, a new start. Okay, metaphorically, it's a new beginning, but what's what's the... Can't be seen in the light because it's mystical. Can't be seen in the light because it's mystical? Or... Demons only work at night. Demons and bad spirits can't deal with the morning. We are, they, it's the dark night of the soul. It's a, if you're, whatever's roiling around, whatever danger there is, is not, and if it's a demon, right, you, it can't be there in the morning. Vampires are not the only creatures that don't like the daytime. But, but where do vampires come from? This, this same, they're Lois, <laughs> oh my gosh, she said they're made up. What? I don't know. I don't know what's with her. I don't understand. So all of these tales come out of the same, all of those fairy tales, all of the hero stories, all of them, just read Joseph Campbell, right? They're all about the same thing. We know it's all metaphorical, but go back. Vampires not being able to deal in the light. Well, of course not, right? Because evil, fear, all that stuff, when the, Light comes when a new day dawns, when then it dissipates, right? So it's in danger. The Ish is in danger from the light. From the clarity. From the clarity, clarity. says Sarah. Ah, truly see. So it has to get out of there. It can't it can't stay in the light. And so Yaakov is wounded. So because this thing can't be in the light. There is a wrenching and a wounding that happens. Isn't the wounding like to remind him in the day what happened? God forbid we should think there's one interpretation, right? So here's one interpretation. The wounding is there to remind him the next day of what happened in the night. And to change him. And no one gets out unscarred. And no one gets out uninjured. Nobody gets out of this challenge, change, transformation, Jacob Jacob fying. They they don't get out of it unscathed. None of us will. None of us do. So you can you can remain maybe maybe doubtful, uninjured, but not if you're going to do this. If you're going to become somebody, if you're going to become then, and you're going to take on your challenges and you're going to cross that yavok, then you're not going to come out uninjured. I was just going to say maybe it was, I finally see the light. Like, I, I get it now, who I am. You know, the struggle is over, I see it. And then he goes through the deep, just as we go through the mikvah, through conversion or the baptism, going through water is very symbolic after you kind of 
see who you are. We're going to see it later, aren't we, on a grander scale? Red Sea. How do you become free as the Israelites? How do you stop being a group of slaves from Mitzrayim and go Mitzrayim out of the Narrows? How do you do that? you got to cross the water. Of course you do. Like, right, of course. you have. If you're going to be reborn, you must come through the birthing waters. You have to. There's no other way. And we are marked by this in very deep thousand-year ways because that's why these brave Jewish kids went to the South to register voters. Because yeah. we... To come out of Mitzrayim. Because we limp. <laughs> we limp. And so we, we immediately ally ourselves or tell ourselves we should ally ourselves with all the others who have been injured, who can't cross the Yavok without our help. I mean, they'll, everyone has to do their own. I'm not. I'm trying to lay, I guess I'm mixing metaphors, but, but that there's some challenges we can't do alone, and there's some that only, right, there's, there's stuff we can't, we can't make happen, but we can help, right? And, um, and because we're, we're limping to the South. But, no but we're also us. wrestling. No more chicken thighs. <laughs> chicken thighs are fine. Chicken thighs are fine. Oh, it's only beef. Yes. Oh. The, the other There's people. no part of a chicken that's not kosher. Oh. It's meat. It's only meat. Um, they, and uh, they believe it's because when you look at, at this part of meat, the sciatic nerve runs through it, through the thigh and the haunches, um, and that they thought originally that was part of the reproductive system. Mm. So it was taboo. Um, there are some kosher butchers whose special skill is to remove the ve- the sciatic nerve and then call that meat kosher. Um, it's an interesting. There are butchers that will do that. So, so there you go. Um, we know that that's not the case now in terms of um, sciatic nerve relative to reproduction. Does that change the status of the meat? Does it for you? No. Okay. Well, it didn't before either. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, that's the question we ask of everything. Now that we know, right, that, that they did this because, or we suspect, what, what does it change for us about, right? So did it change it before? Did it change it after? For some people, it might, for some, it, but it's up to us. To decide how it, because we're reconstructionists. <laughs> you know, this is why they did it. That's one value. Um, but the other value is our people have been doing it for thousands of years. That's another value, right? Um, this is how our people have identified as Jewish for thousands of years. Then there's another value um, that we have to bring from our own time. Do we want to kill animals and eat them? We have other protein sources now. Do we want to kill animals and eat them? Right? So that would be values from our time. that we. And so all of those, Kaplan would argue, all of those have to be in dialogue to come up with our answer of what does this piece of kashrut mean to us. Each of us is wrestling. Each of us yeah, is wrestling with that. I always got out of the story. Wait, 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 we then, are the people who wrestle. And then, and then as a community, once we, once we each wrestle and kind of come up with where we stand on these issues, like kashrut or whatever, then we as a, in Reconstruction Studies and then we as a community have that conversation and decide what do we as a community want to be our, bless you, our, um, 
our practice around this as a community, regardless of what each of us does in our own home. What are we as KI going to decide is our, I mean, here, Kashrut, it's like, it may be who cares, but, but, but about other things, it may not be, right? Like, do we want to support X with our money or not, or how, or, right? Um, okay, so we're, we're going to get there, Bert. Um, so, but we're not there yet. So then he said, let me go for dawn is breaking, but he answered. So who's, who's he answered? <coughs> who's he? I know, right? Good, everybody's confused. I'm glad. Okay, that's good. So then he said, let me go for dawn is breaking, but he answered. So the Ish answers, I will not, no. No, Jacob answers, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is up with that? And now Jacob is thinking that there's something divine in this man, maybe. But we're also talking about the guy who stole his brother's blessing. Ah. Yaakov stole a blessing. So he's not really. So it wasn't really his blessing. So he needs a blessing. So maybe he needs a blessing on his own terms, right? But if you ask me, if this thing's trying to get away because the dawn is breaking and Yaakov senses something about that, it is still the same old Yaakov who says, I have an advantage here. Uh-huh. Right? And I'm going to, because the demon's saying, let me go. The dawn is breaking. Let me go. And Yaakov's like, oh, no, my friend. Not until you give me a blessing. <laughs> right? So um, in some ways, it's the old Yaakov saying, I have an advantage, and I, again, I'm going to get a blessing by pressing an advantage. How did he get it from Aesop the first time? Trickery. Trickery. Aesop was... Hu- oh, yeah, the Let's be clear. He did not trick Aesop no, the first time. He, he used He took advantage of Aesop's weakness. He was about to faint or die or whatever, right, from hunger. And Yaakov says, okay, sell me your birthright for this bowl of lentil soup. There was no trickery there. He took advantage of Esau's weakness. Let me go for the dawn is breaking. It's the same Yaakov or the or the same the same um, taking advantage taking advantage the same ability to read the situation and act in a way that's going to benefit him. But we could argue he he asks for it, right? And possibly understands this blessing as not being one he's stealing from somebody else. That it's one he's earning, even if he's pressing an advantage. It's one he's earning, having fought all night for it. Having fought all night. That I've earned something, right, from this. So the wrestling may have been realizing the difference in what he's doing now and what he did then. Right? So he said the other said the Ish, what is your name? Strange question. <laughs> Particularly after having struggled all night long. With, oh, by the way, what is your name? <laughs> right. Who are you? Yeah, who are you? Right? But it means more than that because a name means Yeah, what is your essence? Because that, right? yeah. that's what we get over and over and over and over in Torah. What is your name? Moshe says to God, what's your name? Who am I supposed to say sent me? Right? What's your name? How identify yourself to me? How do you identify yourself? Tell me. What do you call yourself? I'm the one who came out. Jake, <laughs> right? Is he like what you know? What do you call yourself? Um, who are you? Who are you? What? How do you label you? He replied, 
Yaakov. He said, meaning Ish, your name shall no longer be Yaakov, but Yisrael, for you have striven with beings divine and human. And what does your English say next? Yeah, and okay. You have striven with beings divine and human. And we're going to look to the Hebrew to say Vatuchal. What is Vatuchal? What is what is the Shoresh? What's the root of this? Yachol. Able. So now talk to me about what this verb is. I just told you the root is to be able. That you were able to struggle. Okay, so you have struggled with beings divine and human and have survived. You've been able to do it. You've proven you were worthy. You could do it. But it's not like you've killed the other one. You ha- I don't know where they get prevail. You've proven you can. You've proven you can. Struggle. Struggle. No one wins. He's no one's won. You've what's prevailed? Meaning you hung on, okay? But but the verb is to be able. You have striven with beings divine and human and were able to. You passed the test. He he was able. You made it. He made it. Yeah. Yaakov asked, pray tell me your name. <laughs> but he said, you must not ask my name. And he took leave of him there. Who took leave of whom? Who took leave of whom? Right? So Yaakov named the place Pniel, meaning I have seen a divine being face to face, yet my life has been preserved. So ya- how does Yaakov understand the Ish? Divine. Something, something about the divine. And he's learned in this encounter that he is able to tangle with something that he understands to be about the divine. That he's able, that he's able. Which is what we're doing today. So this is, we do not call ourselves B'nai Yaakov. Who are we as a people? We are not B'nai Yaakov, we are B'nai Yisrael. What a crazy, crazy name to give yourself as a people. The people who wrestle with God, right, is a crazy moniker. A wonderful one. (laughs) Unless you're Jews, right, unless you're Jewish, then, right, it makes complete sense that um, that the, the first first of all this new name right is a new the, this is the blessing the blessing is you, you you're there's a new concept there's a new something new, new has validity. been born yes. here validity it elevates the human being from being subservient in a way to being able to function at a divine level and to be able to do that, to be worthy of of struggling with the divine. It's not just that you did it; you were able to do it. Well, you were able. So worthy and able are different, yeah. right? So yeah. it, it turns out he's able. able. 
whether he's worthy, <laughs> right? That, that's a whole nother class. That's a whole nother conversation. But he's clearly um, changed. But he's clearly changed. Something has clearly changed. So we're no longer subservient. We now have footing to stand before God. I'm sorry. We have footing. We have standing to stand before God. I wouldn't say stand before God. In this case, I would say to tangle. Mm-hmm. With God, and we've been yes. doing it ever since. I, I don't know that it's a test. I, I, I don't really see it as a test. No, I don't. It's, it's what's necessary for Yaakov to evolve. He, he has to wrestle. He has to struggle with the Ish. Now we can fill, spend the, you know three hours talking about what's the Ish and how does that show up. We've already done a good job of talking about you know some of it. He, he has to do that. If he's going to become Yisrael, if he's going to become the one who wrestles God. Yeah, it's, it's very difficult not to take this in a psychological context. 100%. And Jews probably were psychologists in some historical sense. Because to wrestle with, whether it's external or internal, to wrestle with the other, the other aspects, the darkness within the light, to become whole, to have identity, to become a whole identity, to encompass all. If anyone's had a bad dream, you can either go, ah, a bad dream, or you can, you meld with the dream, you interact with the dream, you actually take on things that might, you might fear, and in doing that, they dissipate, the light comes, the morning comes, you have a transformation, and it's so deeply psychological. 100%. 100%. I think it's mythological. Completely. Right? You know, that it's completely archetypal. Completely. It's, I guess what I'm saying is, it's, what I'm saying to you is it's descriptive rather than prescriptive, right? That it's, this is describing what happens. It, this is just what happens if we're to, when we transform, when we evolve, when we grow, when we're ready and willing to confront whatever we have to confront in order to, to, to become that new Israel, um, this is what happens. This, this is just descriptive. This is not just. I mean, it's gorgeously oh, yeah. descriptive. This is earning maturity rather than being a child told what to do. Haven't you met people who I don't care how old they are, just adults, adults mm-hmm. who you know have never crossed the yavok, right. Right. right? Right. That you can, you know, when you're sitting with somebody who's who's done this. Because that's how we earn maturity. That's how we earn wisdom. That's how we earn respect. That's how we earn the right to weigh in on some stuff. It's because we've been at the Yavuk. Or as someone I loved used to say, um, you know, once you've been through the windshield a few times, <laughs> you know what's a fender bender. <laughs> but you got to go through the windshield, right, to, before. Or, or, or else it's like, oh, this is weak in my car. Oh, oh, it's a little bumpy. I hate this. This is so scary. Right? But when you've gone through the windshield, you don't worry about, like, there's a little few bumps, there's a little, is making a couple of noises, whatever, right? Like, and those are, those are, those are people who have been changed. Um, it's also moving from constriction to a unified field. The contraction, the constriction that you were saying, this is the journey, this is the crossing. And, and... This whole notion of when we go, when we, when we look at it as a test, we're looking at it through a dualistic point of view. When we look at it through, like following Abraham, the one to find the unified field, the one God, and this constant dynamic of moving from constriction to unity. I mean, this is all these stories, it's the biggest drama ever. 
Right. So it's moving from that tightness into, right, being willing to and feeling or becoming able to stay with that. So in a mindfulness, we're gonna in our meditation, we're gonna deal with that and from a mindfulness perspective. Um, and I'll share you with you from uh, the Institute of Jewish Spirituality another teaching by Rabbi Rachel Goldenberg. She says, as we're looking at the story, she says, this is oh so very familiar. Maybe not the running away from a murderous sibling thing, but definitely the anticipating an encounter with a difficult person with whom I have baggage thing. <laughs> I can imagine the <laughs> I can imagine the inner monologue taking place in Jacob's mind as he contemplates re-entering a relationship that he hasn't managed to skillfully navigate in the past. Will I be able to act differently this time? Will Aesop act differently? How can I plan and script and strategize beforehand so that I'll be prepared? Maybe this time I can be in better control. So that's the other aspect of, of constriction is control. Yaakov's always acted from how can I get control? And he's done it again until he realizes he's at the place where he has no control. None. And that moment is the moment of choice. So do I go for go for a shopping spree? Do I turn on the TV? Do I drink another glass of wine? Right? Do I have sex? Do I like what if that's the moment. I have no control. Now what? Before it's uh, one of my readings of this is it before Jacob would have done one of those things. And this time it's different. This time he stays. And he stays present. Yaakov, he can't fend off the doubt and fear that is arising, right? Because he's done everything he can do. He feels out of control, so he cries out in prayer. It's almost a relief to see him turn to God for help, as thus far he seems to be acting in such a solitary, cut-off way. I see in Jacob's behavior so many of the ways I know I try to avoid facing what is scary or unknowable. If I can run around accomplishing things, posting articles on Facebook, attending meetings, hitting the streets for just one more protest, then I won't have to feel my worry about the future. I build up defenses of busyness, so I simply won't have enough time or space to be alone with what's really happening. It's all about creating the illusion of control. If I can overcome and succeed at all of these small things, I won't have to feel the big presence of the unknown, capital U, that is truly bearing down on me that I can't overcome. At a certain point, I hit a wall. The fear or anxiety or restlessness becomes overwhelming, and there is a need for prayer, for breath, for a pause. She says, it can happen at the most mundane moments. I recently found myself reaching for a cereal box in the kitchen and catching a glimpse of how overwhelmed I was feeling. My mind was racing with plans and logistics. The phone in my back pocket was dinging away. I needed to eat breakfast. I wasn't sure how I was going to meet a deadline. We needed a babysitter so we could go to a protest the next day. And we still hadn't found a dentist or a pediatrician in our new neighborhood. And, 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 and. I felt like my head was going to explode. Thankfully, I saw what was happening, took down the cereal box, turned off the phone, and just stood there in my kitchen, closed my eyes, brought attention to my breath, to the sounds outside the window in the house, and then I felt it. The fear, the sadness, the worry, the not knowing of this moment, a moment of acknowledgement was all I needed. This is the moment for Yaakov. Can he not run? not over control, not you know, do something to stuff it. He finally decides that he's going to stand 
and he's going to face the fear. He's going to face that he has zero control over what's coming, zero control over Esav or um, circumstances. And she says, Jacob doesn't emerge unscathed. Uh, or but before that, she says, um, he, in Hebrew, his opponent declares, Batuchal, which is usually translated as you prevailed. However, a more literal reading would render this word as you were able. Jacob here is able to be present with the truth that he's not in control, that he's vulnerable, that he can't predict how Esau will receive him. Jacob doesn't emerge unscathed. This wrestling hurts and he's left with a limp, but he does leave the experience having opened to a new way of being. He has a new name and he has received a blessing in coming to face to face with this truth. Jacob lets go of his habitual modes of defending and manipulating and the next morning he's able to greet Esau in a new way, limping, vulnerable, humbled. He bows seven times on his way to greet his brother. Clearly, Yaakov has been transformed and Esau can sense it. Esau runs to greet him. They embrace, weep, and kiss each other. Jacob's heart opens and he's able to bless his brother saying, to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Which is verse, chapter 33, verse 10, which is where we didn't get. But I believe... So the moral of the story is when we do this, we can meet whatever Esau is, whatever that is, and say, seeing you is like seeing the face of God. We understand there's not duality. We understand that it's all a holy mess, and it's all of this business of the one capital O unfolding in the many ways that it will. And you have uh, to be willing to release control. You have to be ready to say, I, I give up controlling what's going to happen or controlling Asav or controlling how he sees me, right? Which is, isn't that the hardest? Mm-hmm. I, I need to give up controlling how Asav is going to receive me. That's so hard to say, okay, Asav gets to see me however Asav sees me. And when I confront that, it's like seeing the face of God. That is a huge holy step <laughs> um, to understand even that as part of divinity, even that as a sacred experience, even that not not me, not my way, not how I prefer it, but the other that I have struggled with, that I have wronged, that you know I have stolen from, that I feel guilty and shameful and horrible about. Um, even that, that's where Yaakov gets, that's where, God willing, all of us through Shabbat practice, through <coughs> study, through meditation, through doing the work of being willing to stand, having the courage to, to be able to trust that we are able, and it's in small moments, her serial moment, that's where the work is, my friends. That's the work. When we're in traffic, when we're late, when an appointment doesn't call, when when we're waiting around for a phone call that doesn't come, those are the moments, right, where we get, uh, and when we feel, uh, when we feel it come up, or when we feel the constriction, right, the, the practice here is, and then they're in those small moments, because then we're able to do it in the big moments, when we cultivate a capacity for letting go of control, showing up, trusting that we're able, we have the capacity to experience whatever comes as seeing the face of God. So may it be for all of us. Shabbat shalom. 
You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday Morning Torah Study from Kehillat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California. For more information, go to our website, www.ourki.org.